0: Hello and welcome to Sepsis Voices with Dr Ron, that's me, a brand new podcast from the UK Sepsis Trust. I'm Dr Ron Daniels and I founded the charity in 2012 and in this podcast series I'll be talking about sepsis, talking about infection management with an array of guests from the realm of healthcare and beyond. And it's beyond that we're venturing into today. Our aim is to educate people about sepsis and infection management and to provoke further debate about key issues such as AMR or antimicrobial resistance. But for our first episode, we're thrilled to be joined by BAFTA award-winning actor and UK Sepsis Trust ambassador Jason Watkins, whom you might recognize from the catch or line of duty or pretty much every time you turn the television on. We're going to be discussing Jason's personal connection to our charity and to talk about an upcoming ITV documentary that he's made with his wife, Clara. So uh, let's get stuck in. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jason.
1: Thank you. Very nice to, to be here, Ron. And nice to be from, what did you say, the other side? I <laughs> that, like, that, like that. I might actually nick
0: that. Yeah, well, the, the non-healthcare side, but absolutely, yeah. um, you can have that. So, uh, Jason, obviously, you've got a very personal backstory here. Could could you sort of outline how you became uh, involved with the UK Sepsis Trust and, and perhaps how we first came to your attention?
1: Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that you say in your preamble there that, you know, we, we started the trust in 2012. Well, you know, we lost our daughter, Maud, to sepsis in the um, New Year's Day, two thousand and eleven. So um, there is an obvious uh, connection there between us. mordi got a uh, cold that went to her chest, and uh, I thought that was worrying for us, and so we took her to a GP. Uh, they were then we were then referred down to the dropping A and E department, a local hospital, where she was discharged later that day after having some minor sort of treatment, and were given some. Uh, steroids particularly for the constriction that was happening in the throat um, and then uh, w- her condition worsened the next day 24 hours later so we did the same thing took her to the hospital the next uh, day which was uh you yeah, know new year's eve and then uh, despite sort of her coming down having gas and air and um some antibiotics and um more steroids um we were Although her temperature was falling, uh, the um, consultant in charge, the paediatric consultant, suggested that it would be OK to go home. Um, uh, although that felt uncomfortable, the condition was improving, so-called, so cool, because of the, the temperature change. And so you take your advice from your uh, medical people and, and off you go. So we took her home and uh, tragically, she died in the night and we found her on New Year's Day. So, in her cot. So, yeah, I'm all too familiar with the rigours of of sepsis, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, that just brings out so many questions, but, you know, just to focus for a moment for the listeners on the unimaginable pain and trauma of, of finding your child deceased in their cot when... You'd put your faith in the health professionals and you had taken their advice and you'd done everything you could, and, and you'd you'd gone back and you'd asked questions and you'd been reassured by them. I think for anyone listening to this, that that is, or, or for the vast majority, thankfully, unimaginable. Um, but looking back, and and, and that was now you know 12 years ago. What did you know about sepsis or the risks of infection to children as as a parent at that time, 12 years ago?
1: You know, I knew virtually nothing. One imagines that there's these sort of nasty things that happen and there are unexplained deaths. And there are almost in a Victorian sense where, you know, a number of children will die in childhood and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And one feels that, you know, I was kind of in that world really. So I didn't know the difference between sepsemia and sepsis. I didn't know what sepsis was. I, I didn't, you know, I think I'd heard of asepsis or... But I, to me, it was to do with poisoning. And one should look out for more, da- what perceived more dangerous things, you know. Uh, and so I had, I had really very, very little knowledge of it. Um, yeah, and and nothing like. I mean, I probably got one hundred percent more knowledge of it now
0: than I did when I when Maud passed away. Uh, of course, and you know, hindsight is well, not quite a wonderful thing here, but a, but a, but an important thing. Um, this this sort of language issue that we have, and and we know that to this day, some of the. Um, some of those championing better outcomes from meningitis still use the word septicemia. You get in adult men's medicine, we've dropped the term septicemia and we use the term sepsis. And you know, I just want to explain to non-medical listeners that they are the same thing. Sepsis is the currently used term. Sepsisemia is a more historical term now. And uh, But but I think this, this language and the variations in language do create a de- degree of confusion. If there had been a sort of sepsis awareness initiative out there at the time um do you think it would have broken through the noise for you yeah i think so
1: i mean i hope that's what we're
0: doing you know and it's certainly we know don't
1: we because we have people contact us all the time and myself included you know um around not long after that i I was talking on tv about it and i was unfortunately enough but because of my acting profile i'm able to you know, connect with parents and people and talk on the news and all that kind of stuff, as I know you do. But uh, and but yes, there was a, a woman who whose friend, her child was ill and she thought something was wrong and uh, at the hospital recommended that she go to the hospital and, and indeed uh, the child was treated for sepsis and pulled through. And there are other cases, one of one of many, and and even now. Um, I'm talking to somebody on Friday, a friend of mine. He's, he lost his um, he lost his son, um, uh, one year old, I believe, and uh, to sepsis, you know, last week. So you know, it it is it is so prevalent, and you you know the numbers, you know, two hundred forty five thousand cases per year is extraordinary. W- to answer your question, um, I hope I would have been able to break through the noise and to to try and. Because I think it's, it's a simple thing, isn't it? I mean, it's great that, you know, sepsisemia and sepsis are the same thing. That's a, any simplification can make it simple for a parent to go just simply to say, OK, my child is, has had an infection or is, an infection is involved in some way in their illness that you can then ask, well, can you rule out sepsis for me, please, before you do anything else? And that's what I hope. I that's what I hope we're trying to do, isn't it? And I wish that had been around at the time. You know, let alone not even having the word as currency. The word wasn't currency.
0: No, I, I, absolutely. And and I, I would imagine that if you could, sort of, um, uh, find a time machine. You know, maybe that's a, a program you've not been involved in as yet. But find a time machine, go back in time twelve years. Is is that the one thing you'd tell yourself to to just ask that question?
1: With my knowledge now, I would. Yeah, I mean, I wish I'd, you know, read more H.G. Wells, you know, and uh, got my little time machine. That is the question, isn't it? And that's the question now one would ask. But it's even even now it's difficult, isn't it? Because we know with our own children that, it, what I, can I be completely honest and say that every time my child's been in and has got a, a cold or, or something a bit stronger, or even because during the pandemic, Where uh, my younger two children both had COVID. You know, was I really covering all those bases in terms of sepsis? I was thinking it's definitely COVID. It's a cold, it's a heavy cold. You know, it's it's a very it's still a very difficult area for parents. And also it's not always the parents' responsibility, is it? You know, that that's the thing. If you if you've if you have a I mean, every child is a Ferrari, aren't they? They're a beautifully crafted, amazing machine to their parents. But you wouldn't, in a million years, ask a layman to fix a Ferrari. You know, you take it to the garage, you can take it to the to the, the hospital, and there's only so only so many. What you can say is, my this is an, all, this is an awful lot, Alan Partridge analogy, but you know, you're going. The car's not. It's not. Doesn't feel right. Something's wrong with it. My my child is. You know, there's. I know her, I know him, I know her. And there's something that I, is just, it's not like when they were ill before. Uh, there's something else going on. And even if you don't know the symptoms of sepsis, trust your instinct is what I would say. And and that, that's something that we do more of now. But of course in infants, it's, it's difficult in infants because it may be the first time
0: your child's been ill. I don't know whether you agree that that has to be the the single most important message for for any parent listening as well as anyone who's advocating for an adult who may or may not have sepsis it's trust your instincts because you know that individual that little person or or full-sized person better than any health professional and yes we 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 have to hope and expect that the health professionals are well trained and are going to be alert to the dangers of sepsis but it's about partnership it's about communicating look my you know, in your case, my daughter has had coughs and colds before, but I've never seen her this unwell. And, and she I think she's getting worse, not better. It's that it's that instinct driven, almost assertiveness that, that I think. Is important. Yeah,
1: it is. And also, you know, we as part of the documentary, which you know, we'll probably talk about later on, going to King's College Hospital in London and witnessing the Sims program, where it's a, you know, a simulated um, infant infant. Being programmed with various illnesses, and you know, they that the team there were excellent in spotting um, the sepsis. Uh, um, But you know, as part of that, there is a parent who's one of the consultants was pretending to be a parent, which is a parent herself, but she was pretending in this instance to be one within the program. And it's an important ingredient of a that you allow the space for that parent to be able to speak um and, and to be heard and and listened um, you know that that that's that's all, all all part of it but yeah you've always got to say you know allow the the parent to voice their opinions and not preempt anything that they may say i suppose you, you'll know better than i do and a, a lot of the listeners will, you know that it's sort of there's a and there's i'm not going to get the term right but there's a false bias isn't there you think that it's one thing when actually it isn't, and if you jump too quickly on your presumption, you may rule out the very thing that is actually happening. And that is absolutely key with sepsis, isn't it, Ron? That you jump at some conclusion when sepsis is lurking underneath.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it's it's also important that we acknowledge um, that you know a, a child with a feverish illness is a very common occurrence, and and of course the vast majority of them um have a fairly minor self-limiting illness that that certainly doesn't need antibiotics, let alone hospital assessment. But it is just health professionals think, how how can I be alert to that that needle in the haystack that is the genuinely ill child? But I think my message as, you know, not only a dad, but also someone who's spend a lot of time with families who've gone through grief, um, is is to those those health professionals, the vast majority of families don't want to be taking their child to hospital. They don't want to be perceived a nuisance. They they find it inconvenient and frightening for their child. And the vast majority of parents wouldn't put that child in that situation unless they were really concerned. And I think health professionals need to, to really understand that rather than thinking that every parent is, you know, a, a worrier.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it, it's so hard because there's so much pressure. On the health service, obviously, and, and obviously on GPs, it's very difficult for us to get an appointment at our GP at the moment. A local GP. It's uh, you know you can tell it's really underfunded. People are ill, of course, and there's not there are absences, etc. So it's, it's very push. So the idea of you know a parent coming in and spending longer than supposedly they should, or whatever, talking about the concerns they have about their child, it's a, a difficult thing because obviously GPs and Junior consultants, etc., and everybody has a schedule. There are things to do, but it's just allowing that, particularly with infants, that you know that process to to play out, and that they're able to to voice um, their concerns and, and worries, and that they they should be should be listened to. Um, but I, I understand the you know the, the
0: strains and difficulties of that. So. Uh, Jason, just just moving on, because we we need to come to talk about uh, the upcoming documentary. But just before we do that, uh, I just sort of wondered if you had any reflections, because in your recent role in The Catch, of course, you played a dad grieving for the loss of his son. And it's one thing talking about your own lived experience and your own tragedy. But does that make acting in that role more natural? Less natural, more difficult, less difficult.
1: All of those things, really. It makes all of those things, and you know where you're heading when you take on something like that. And I knew that I was going to be. Uh, it was one of the reasons to be fearful of doing it, and one of the reasons to be doing it. You know, uh, it, it's you know trying without trying to be convenient. Or I've done lots of interviews about the catch and talked a lot about this, and it's interesting to reflect now as I've come through the publicity shoot of it you know there's hundreds of interviews really um, and and it, um, it's done very well which is very satisfying but very i'm not just plugging myself there's some very big numbers for channel five which means a lot of people have watched it um you know so that's really good so lots of people are aware of grief and how parents behave and you know i, I was and i am like the character so answering your question you know it is difficult to take those things on, but I, I wanted to play, in I wanted to be in a thriller. I love thrillers, and there's a psychological thriller and drama, and it's nice to be in the middle of it. I usually play the weirdo on the edge, some sort of crazy fool, you know, some dreadful psychological um, concoctions. But it was nice just to play somebody closer to me, but obviously the character played does become quite extreme in his behavior because he's hanging on, you know, as a parent. When you have lost a child, you are. Your judgment is different and you are hanging on. And, you know, while we, while we just think about, about it, you know, if as a healthcare professional, you meet a parent who's lost a child, you've got to, it's a difficult, you know, it's, it's a particular thing. They're obviously worried more than they would. I do, I'm in our family, Clara's, my wife is, is better at containing her worries. I'm not so good. Uh, and I'm very worried and it's difficult you know they ha- I would have, hope to be listened to but also reassured um and given a bit of science is a good thing about numbers and you know possibilities and probabilities but but in the catch ed he doesn't quite have the his cognitive ability i think has been has been dented and changed and emotionally he's he's in a bit of trouble and then all these incredible things start happening his his natural overprotectiveness so his daughter leaves him open to uh, a very difficult journey, which hopefully I take the audience with me on. So, yeah, but it was difficult doing certain scenes of, uh, you know, CPR, which, which I did, you know, which I performed on my own daughter. So, you know, I, I knew that I was heading that way. At one moment, I was thinking, well, maybe should we not do this? But then, you know, we pared down the set. There was just me and the cameraman, Um. And that was it, everyone else was about 40 yards away. So, you know, uh, so I was able just to, to to do it and then have a big hug and then carry on with the next sort of more fishy scene.
0: <laughs> of course, a, a well-deserved hug. Mm. So onto the nitty gritty, <laughs> you know, the the documentary is called Jason and Clara in memory of mordy And we know it's going to be broadcast on ITV1 on Thursday, the 30th of March this year at 9pm. At so what do our listeners need to know about this upcoming documentary other than to have a box of tissues very firmly to hand?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a uh, difficult Um, You know, it is... I mean, this sounds just thinking off the top of my head. This sounds a really uh, strange. Of looking at it, but I would ask you. To think, you know, every time I find this, every time I go to a funeral, I um, I find I find it very difficult, and I cry a lot. I always associate my daughter's loss, and I'm an emotional person anyway. But then I always think when I meet people I may have not have seen for a long time, or people I do know very well. I always come out wanting to make sure I make the most of my life and most of, and connect with people and do the best for myself and my children and my family and my friends. and You know, and that, and that burns brightly a bit and then we get sucked into things. But I hope that I remember a bit of that as I go through. And I think the documentaries in that world, it's we are talking openly about our grief and our sharing memories of our daughter with the public and so so I think this documentary is from that arena that world and that sounds very down and depressing isn't it but it's it's the life of family bit that I'm also talking about about connecting talk to people sharing information and in that context it would be memories and the joy of that person who's gone um and we are doing that in our programme of course but you know we're sharing what happened to Maud what she was like as a person how our family is coping meeting parents that we've met and the groups that we've met Um, and uh, you know i'm hooking up with a couple of parents that i've met on twitter that i haven't met in the flesh Uh, so you'll see all that and you'll also see you know clara and i get you know talking about Maud and about what she meant to us and and how we have different ways of grieving and similar similarities in grieving Um, and and also sharing, you know, our, our wonderful friends, what they did for us. Um, but it, it it also gives an audience idea of what sepsis is. And it gives us a, about all the things we've been talking about, Ron, and about, you know, asking, could it be sepsis? And better awareness, I suppose, is what the documentary is giving in terms of sepsis to parents and, you know, also to healthcare professionals. But this is something I'm sure they know more about Sim. We do. How we go and have. A, I go to Kings and I. Uh, I, I meet uh, Akash there, who is a, a consultant and who runs this training program there. Um, and uh, I won't spoil that, but that that's that's very moving in itself. And then, um, uh, you know, we go to other places and and, and meet um other people, but it's also about grieving and the grieving process within the families and how one copes and doesn't cope. And the need to share and talk and express your feelings in the stories of your child and your lives uh, with other similarly affected and bereaved parents themselves. And then this idea and this feeling, which is very real, that you can go on, you can continue. Uh, This is the conversation I'm going to have with this guy on Friday. You know, I'm going to be telling him that it's it's very... I won't need to tell him how, how he's feeling at the moment, a few weeks in, but I will tell him that those things, physical things, the trauma of what you one has suffered, do subside slightly, and it becomes different, and you're able to go on and cope. And I think that's the message of the documentary: is to reassure and give comfort to uh, other families, and give the general population an idea of maybe a way of helping someone that they know who's bereaved. Uh, and not feel fearful of approaching a mother who's lost their child, because it's very different to think, oh, God, I'm going to say something really stupid. And you might do, but it's better to acknowledge the child than not. That's the key. But I think audiences will be affected by it. I really hope so. And that uh, it, it serves some good for more yeah. life-
0: that, that last point is really interesting reflect. I was walking through London with Melissa Mead, whom you know the other day, mm. and she was telling how Arthur, her older child, um, was asked by a, a, an elderly lady in the street, you know, do you have any brothers or sisters? And and he says, well, I, I do have a younger brother, but he's dead. And, and that lady didn't know what to say. And uh, odd. I, I think we, you know, we, we recognise that, Death is a part of life. It shouldn't happen to children, but we we do need to normalise talking about it. Uh, of course, we do, we
1: do, and that's great. It's farther to say that.
0: Why yeah, it, we, really, really is possible? incredible. You know what what a what a grown up young man and how, how mature and I, I think it's important we acknowledge at this point that you you do provide brilliant support and raise awareness around our charity UK Sepsis Trust, but also another brilliant charity, Child Bereavement UK. So, I I, I guess sort of. Brief. How important do you think for people like you and for broader society is the support of? We all know that the support should come from a central pot, but it doesn't. How, how important do you think is the role of the charitable sector in this space?
1: Well, it's in the charitable sector, it is vital, isn't it? And it does provide that those um, you know it 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 it, it, it cases for people's altruism and their kindness in a very direct way charitable and and there's a whole other conversation about state support and we you know we sadly when Moore died Clara started seeing somebody I should have done really of course but then that service was withdrawn because it was run out of funding so that's really hard and you know I might have been lucky to have bereavement counselling could have afforded and I suppose having had a bit of counselling along the way since Moore died you know it is at the root the root of it is is Maud's loss. So um other people are less fortunate. So that that so that is why the state, you know, I, I hope more will come from the state. But absolutely in the charitable sector, it is a very direct way because you can, you know, if you feel empathy, you can give immediately. And if you if you if you're a great charity like the two charities that I chiefly work for, you know, they are available and there for you. You just reach out and they're there and it's very direct and it is free because of the wonderful gifts that uh, so many of the people that we know and got to know very well over the years have, 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 have helped with that. And in terms of bereavement, child bereavement, it is essential that you talk to people and that you're able to find that person that you can share things with. You know, it's um, if the idea of not being able to share one's feelings about loss in this context, you know, it's, it's just, and that can happen because particularly amongst men, and that touches upon this in the documentary, that that I, I felt I just needed to cope when I died and mm. carry my family with me, I was sort of born again kind of father. And of course it's not as simple as that, it's complicated, and a lot of that complication is healed by just being able to talk to somebody. So you know, on the other end of things, which is what Charbreedon and Kay do so well is listen, you know, providing a space to listen um, and support and, you know, it's techniques and ways and uh, things to think about, reassurance. Uh, So all all those things and, you know, you can say sepsis trust similarly, um, you know, we have great supporters and that they, they have made such an enormous difference. And it is a direct, visible difference to, uh, you know, to to outcomes and to society in general. So, yeah, my hope is that we get a, you know, a good mixture of the two. I don't think, you know, I'm not a, I'm, I don't believe that, um, I believe that we should, the state should contribute more. And, and I know that, you know, that's just my view, but I always know there's going to be a hybrid of, you know, the state support and us being seen to be supporting ourselves society uh, within the political system, but also to embrace the incredible energies and resources that the charitable sector uh, has has done and and has had to do in the last few years.
0: Yeah, thank you. And, you know, just to to reinforce the point for listeners that we are both charities. Um, We have people who listen. We have you know people trained in bereavement counseling we connect people with other people who've been through it as you wonderfully do for us Jason but really important to reinforce that you know charities like ours can't do this without help from people like our listeners without donations I
1: remember we say we've said this many times when we've had meetings haven't we with people that we we know that with that support with donations and what that brings that you can see you can see numbers fall. You can see lives being saved, particularly in the sphere of sepsis and acknowledging and recognising sepsis earlier does save the life.
0: So a contribution does. It it has a direct impact. It it absolutely does. Jason, we could talk for hours, but, um, you know, I, I just really wanted to thank you personally for speaking to me and speaking to our listeners Today And of course, for your ongoing um, work as an ambassador for the charity, Uh, we really look forward to the documentary and supporting its launch and watching it, of course, and and helping to make more people aware of this life-threatening condition. So join us for our next episode of Sepsis Voices with Dr. Ron, that's me, where we will be talking about post-sepsis syndrome and recovery from sepsis. Uh, Please do head to our website at sepsistrust.org for more information about our charity in the meantime, or indeed to support us with a mission. Jason, thank you. Thank you very much, Ron.